Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Anti-Racist Economy with Kim Creighton. As the anti-racist economist, Kim is dedicated to building a future that is supremacy, coercion, discrimination, and exploitation free. And each week on this, actually every two weeks on this podcast, join Kim uh, and myself, Aaron Mills, as we discuss the intersection of current events, pop culture, and social change, ever exploring the critical dynamics of anti-racism and psychological safety in today's rapidly evolving workplace and other places. <laughs> Kim, it's been a while. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. We haven't, we didn't do anything in July. No. And oh, no. Oh. And here we are coming back hot and heavy with two really great episodes in August that I'm very excited yes. about. Yes. But, but first, I'd love to hear all about your travels. We haven't had a chance to catch up. Yeah, I went to six different cities in two and a half weeks um, in Europe. And um, I actually announced White Do Rehab, uh, which is my community I'm building specifically for white dudes um, to really want to do this work, but need a safe, welcome and a psychological safe space to work out their shit so that they're not harming everybody while they're figuring shit out. Um, and I was supposed to have three 30 minute sessions with a 30 minute break in between. It turned out to be a 50 minutes, um, a five hour session with one 20 minute break. Yes, they kept bumping into each other. And I, yes. And it was way more work than I thought it was. I, you know, I was just going to have, it was just an introductory conversation. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had to hold so much space. Um, it was really good. It was uh, confirming that this is something that white dudes want, this is something that white dudes need. Um, and so um, we're now planning to do something in Ireland um, in the fall for a more intentional a couple of days of sessions of white do rehab. <clears throat> yeah. Can you let us in a bit in terms of what type of discussions you aim to have in these forums or what what this experience is like? Okay, so I'm just going to read you what I, I said. What is it? Yeah. Um, welcome in a psychological, uh, welcome in a psychological safe community for the most privileged to work out their shit while minimizing harm in order to help build the supremacy, coercion, discrimination, and expectation free future that we want. And then um, one of the things I talked to them about, I came up with a term called the falsehood of a validated perspective. And we talked about um, that because so much of what right dudes don't realize is how many people validate their perspectives and don't challenge them and so they're not living in reality um and and that's whenever so my whole thing was whenever something is going on I need them to stop and ask themselves what am I missing Mm -hmm. if they could do that in every encounter what am I missing because you're missing a whole lot but what am I missing because so much of um, what, what is done is, um, um, uh, is, 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 is for your benefit. So I define, I may I'm kind of with a term and I define, I said, what is the falsehood of, um, validated perspective? It is the intentional and strategic effort and false deference that goes into managing and validating the perspectives of those with the ability to leverage systems, institutions, and policies designed to privilege the few at the expense of the many. I have had, I have a much better understanding of why folks in positions of power and privilege 
have such a hard time with accepting any challenge to their supremacy better than you, entitlement more deserving than you, dominance control power over you, and dominion ruler over you, over things and others. So much of society functions around placating these individuals in major and minor ways by intentionally and strategically not telling the truth what's real. For many, this behavior begins when they are born. Why do rehab is the work of deconstructing the falsehood of validated perspectives of the most privileged in order that they may work collectively towards building uh, supremacy, coercion, discrimination, and exploitation free uh, future while minimizing harm. So the expectation for me is as, a, as a, the expected outcomes from being a member of uh, this community will be mm -hmm. one, they would have gained the confidence to engage with others in harm reduction from a harm reduction perspective. Two, have developed the knowledge, skills, and support needed to help build a supremacy, coercion, discrimination, and exploitation for the future we want. And three, have improved, uh, have an improved sense of overall well-being to being able, due to being a member of a community designed specifically for them to experience welcoming and psychological safety. And um, <clears throat> as I said, um, the major question I have is at the end of all of it is if they could just walk away, if they're in a situation and they could just, and, and things are going and they're like, what the fuck is going on? Just to stop mm -hmm. and say, what am I missing? Because there's something you're missing. It's not somebody else's fault. It cannot be everybody else's fault all the time. It is where, where have the, my, the falsehood of valid, validate perspectives being upheld? What, what are people telling me that's not, the, that's not the truth? What are people, how are people managing my feelings? A whole bunch of stuff around that. And so what this will be, like I said, it's going to be an online community where I will be the only um, woman in the group. And I will, we will um, adhere to a strict code of conduct, um, code of practice. Um, there will be uh, trained moderators for content. And, and weekly, I will drop in prompts for them to discuss themselves. So I'm facilitating. I'm not running it because they, white dudes need to figure this shit out. Mm -hmm. And so even, and so what, what, and I saw the beginnings of that in the informational sessions, and that's why they went so long. It's because conversations were going on. I just sat back and I only in, inter, interjected when I saw, okay, you're going in the wrong direction here. Okay. You're not listening to what this person is saying. Da, da, da. So it's the facilitation role. Wow. And you were in Europe specifically. Yeah. I was in, at that point I was in Switzerland. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I left, so I was in, I flew into Munich. Now, mind you, I had bail with me. So <laughs> I flew into Munich and then I had to take the train to Innsbruck. And then the next day we went to, I can never remember this damn city in um, Switzerland. Um, starts with a P, I can never remember it. And then I left there and I went to Milan for a few days um, and I went to the Prada Foundation um, and I did some, um, some, high level sightseeing, very specific creativity sightseeing. Um, again, that cultural, that creativity, the creative vein, trying to see, you know, um, there. Um, and then I went to Comer, France for a few days. And then I went to Paris. Um, and I can tell you of all of my travels in Europe, I was not expecting to feel, and that was at the time when they had um, a young man that got killed by the police and, and they were having the riots. Now, while I was staying, there wasn't, there wasn't where the riots were happening, but I could tell you that's the first European 
city I've been into where I felt absolutely comfortable and safe because there were so many black people. In Paris. Oh my God. I was like, oh my God, there's so many fucking black people here. I felt so safe. So I wasn't looking around my shoulder over my shoulder all the time. I, I felt absolutely comfortable and at peace and safe in Paris, which was, I was not expecting. Did you have a nice time in Paris? Yes, I did. I went, um, so in Comer, um, it was a small town. It was like a suburb. It was, it was really a nice little town. Um, and I got to see that part. And then Paris, I went to Versailles um, as an interior design major. I've always wanted to go to, that was one of the things we studied. So I always wanted to go to Versailles. Um, but it was, it was a nice, um, it was a nice little feel. I liked, I liked the, 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 um, I don't know what they, it's not, it's escaping me right now, but the, the ability to just walk down the street and buy fruit or sit at a cafe and, and, you know, that I really, you know, it's like these boulevards and they just go off in these different ways. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I know. I've only been to Paris once and I, and it was very, it was very brief three days and it was just magical. Like everything mm-hmm. you're describing, just it's as picturesque as you've seen in the movies. Like that's, I just couldn't believe it. Like I was like, oh my God, I just. And see, so- for me, it wasn't even that because it's, yeah. a, it's an inner city. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's dirty. It's graffiti. I had no desire to go to the Louvre or um to Eiffel Tower because that's a whole bunch of touristy shit I'm I don't do the touristy shit right. um, now mind you again Versailles was because I that, that background I wanted to see the interior design I wanted to see the gardens all that stuff um but it remi- what it felt like I it wasn't very different for me from being in Berlin um except the number of black folks and that that to me was so it was an urban city, which I really, I have to be near a city. I can't, um, yeah. I'm going to be like Comer was felt like a suburb, but it was actually five hours away from Paris and no, two, two hours. Cause it was five hours from Milan to Comer. And we took, I took, we, Belle and I took the train everywhere. Um, and for our listeners who don't know, Belle is a Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah. Her, name, her real, our full name is Nobel prize in economics. And we call, I call her Bill for short. And that was our first international trip. And she took those nine hour flights like a rock star. She was fine. What does she just, does she sleep? Does she sit on your lap? She she is most, because you know, her personality, she's very scary. She feels most comfortable in her carrier. So I never take her out. Okay. Yeah. And so even though I had the paperwork for her to be, no one asked for it. Cause I don't think anybody in customs even knew she was there because her bag sits on top of my roller my my um carry on mm-hmm. and it looks like a piece of luggage <laughs> she's so and she doesn't funny. say anything she doesn't bark she doesn't do anything she just chills because she feels she has her blanket and she's comfortable in there that's incredible i, I can't believe she's a world traveler yeah it's awesome yeah she was on um yeah she so on the flights i have to uh, make sure there's enough space underneath and she's cool that's awesome yeah as soon as we get where we need to go, I let her out to go to the bathroom and all that stuff. But other than that, she's cool. Yeah. Awesome. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh, I've been chilling, basically, kind of getting into the summer flow. I, I've been spending a lot of time down uh, near the beach. And I did go back up to the city. I went to New York last week. I had an event at NASDAQ for a client. 
Uh, and it was good to be back to your point. Like there's something about being in the city. There's mm -hmm. a pulse, there's an energy. So it was good to be back for a week. Um, yeah, just kind of, that's basically been, been it just kind of flow, you know? Okay. <laughs> well, that, that kind of gets us into the trigger because your work and you, and, and, and I'll let you go. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's interesting. Uh, I, I'll have a lot to say today. Uh, and I also think it's interesting too, because I'm glad we started talking about white dude rehab and, you know, again, kind of the upholding of these societal norms and, you know, that men are often not challenged and they need to challenge themselves because, you know, there's this ongoing narrative that they're, what they're seeing and experiencing to your point is not the real world at all, yeah. but yeah. they, but they have a very myopic view of it. Um, because of the systems, institutions, and policies that are in place. So, so you brought to my attention this study, which is our trigger today that we're going to talk about. Um, and I'm just going to pull it up here. Um, so it's it's a report published by UBS actually, and it was Own Your Worth Report 2023. And the headline coming out of this report was that women primary breadwinners, right? So women who earn you know, 50% or more of the household income face challenges embracing their financial power. And just a couple of the lead stats coming out of this or lead, you know, the, the synthesis coming out of the study. So 30% of high earning heterosexual women in the U.S. surveyed by UBS are now the primary household earners, right? So 30% of the respondents are the primaries in their mm -hmm. house right? Yet less than half prefer that role, right? Actually, I, I think it's important actually just to stop and unpack them one at yes. a time. Yes. It's so interesting because I was having a conversation this weekend where I was with another couple and we were having a great dinner and we were just talking about, I, I, I'm the primary breadwinner in my household. In fact, for many years, I have been the working, uh, the working parent. My husband uh, had a, had a career early on. We got married, and right before uh, we became pregnant with our first child, he was laid off. And uh, when he was trying to figure out his next steps, I got pregnant, and we had spent years trying to get pregnant. We had some fertility struggles, and during that time, I just poured myself into my career, and my career just started to really take off, mm -hmm. and it was really exciting. So when I got pregnant, we were in a financial position where we said, "Well, we're going to either have to invest in childcare, or my husband could stay home, and my income as the primary and at that point only could sustain us." Mm -hmm. And because my trajectory was was you know such that, you know, it looked like we were going to be okay, that I would kind of assume that primary role. And I did, and I have done that for the last 10 years. And it's so interesting because, and I, I've always worked, I've always kind of been that, you know, quote unquote, go-getter, you know, always, you know, just, and, and, and we had this conversation this weekend and everyone just assumed somebody, you know, said, well, I, you know, I, I would not be comfortable staying as a stay-at-home mom. And I said, you know, what's so funny. I said, I think I would. They said, they were shocked. They said, really? They said, I'm like, yeah, I don't really, they're like, but you're such a go-getter. You're so successful. And I said, I get, I just kind of happened that way, but I don't think that I chose it. And I think that I'm to the point of the study. I don't know that I prefer this role. You know, I, I don't. Um, because I think as a woman, what this role has meant to me is tremendous sacrifice in term in terms mm. of what 
just in terms of, of, of sacrifice, in terms of what that means as a parent and, mm-hmm. and what, you know, because um, it, it's just it, the gender roles as, as I've seen them play out are just different. It, it, it's, it, you know, when, when husbands were the primary back in the day, right. And women had a very clear role, you know, that they were supposed to fulfill at home. And now that that's kind of inverting, the responsibilities didn't invert. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, and some of it because is the primary I, yeah. women, traditionally the primary breadwinner as the man of the house didn't have anything to do, but the work they went to work. And when they right. came home, everything else was taken care of. That yeah. is not what's happening right now. Correct. Correct. Um, and it's interesting. And of course there's, I mean, not so even, I'm going to ask you, did that shock you when you said it? No, I, I didn't. It didn't shock me. And um, it didn't shock me, but it shocked everybody else. Mm. <laughs> it shocked everybody else, except my husband. I think my husband understands. Like he's great. My husband's, he's grateful, but he knows, like, I mean, it's, it's interesting during the pandemic, there was a period for a few months before I started my company where I was home. And he said, he's like, Aaron, you basically poured, like I was doing like the Pinterest cupcakes. I mean, my energy has to go somewhere. Like that's just who I am. Like we were just, we were having fun. We were doing, but, but I enjoyed pouring that side of my entrepreneurial spirit. I enjoyed Mm -hmm. pouring that into my family. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a great outlet for that. So, so, so yeah, there is something where I think a lot of times it's very glamorized, like women in these powerful positions. And, you know, I think there's this glamorous aspect of, you know, and even I saw the Barbie movie this weekend um, and that had a lot of interesting social commentary in it, um, which we could unpack on a separate episode, but yeah, I don't know. I think, um, and it's hard because I see my husband contributing extensively on the home front far more than than certainly others mm-hmm. but there is something to be said for it's just interesting the, the kids they want mom like they, they just want mom there's like there's a there's a quality there obviously mm-hmm. which obviously opens up a, a big gender conversation too but it's, anyway so it's fascinating I don't know what are your what are your thoughts on well on... I, I want to go back to the fact where you said there was yeah. a like you made a decision it just kind of ha- happened and that's what that's so much about I mean, yeah, y'all decided, hey, da 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 da. Right. But you didn't decide it was going to go on for years. You didn't decide right. um, that what what does that work look like? If I'm outside the house, do we take on the do? Am I now taking on a traditional man quote unquote role right. where I work out the outside the house, and when I come home, this shit needs to be done? You know, all none of those conversations are having are being had. Right. And um, I, I actually want to unpack this even more because. One of the reasons that I know that so many that I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, make an a uh, uh, hypothesis here of why the yet less than half prefer the role uh, because there's so much stigma to it. it's there is so much stigma and we can get into this with these yeah. other things with women mate being their head of household because one of the issues that they talk about in here and 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 maybe we do need to go is the fact that just because you're the you're bringing in the money. Uh, what does it say? The next, the next one, traditional gender role expectations, trust issues with partners and time constraints lead women to take much less active roles in financial decisions compared to men. So not only am I bringing in all the fucking money, but you're still making all the financial decisions. That's problematic. Mm -hmm. So, so to say yet 
less than four, half prefer that role, you know, my brain, I start digging in. Okay. So what's going on? Right. It's more than, cause you say you, you know, you might prefer being at home. There are a lot of things to that, um, that that is yours, but so many, and this is what this article really talks about is, um, like it says, the primary uh, women's, the, the, the heading, um, the article um, title, women primary, Women primary head um, breadwinners face challenges embracing their financial power. They don't have it. So you're doing all the work and yet you're still not the, you're not the, you're the breadwinner, but you don't get to decide where the bread goes. Right. You still come back and fall into those same traditional stereotypical financial. Right. I think a lot of people, absolutely. I see that a lot. And I also, you know what the other interesting, complete opposite end of the spectrum that I see with a lot of my mom friends are those who do stay at home feeling powerless because Mm -hmm. they're not contributing on that front, but because they don't get to make the decisions about it. Right. Exactly. But they're contributing because they're upholding the household. Like Mm -hmm. it, it, Mm -hmm. they're, well, I mean, the house has never been of value. So that's also a thing. Right. That's yep. the, anything. And so the next thing uh, it says of the 800 plus women and men survey, only half of the primary earning women in heterosexual couples actively engage in short and ter- long term financial decisions. Right. And that's what this article is about. It is about even in our roles as bringing in 50% plus 51% or more of the income, women are still not making 51% plus of the decisions financially. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that shit will be frustrating as hell to me. Um, because again, we're falling into traditional, stereotypical, patriarchal roles of he's still better with money. He's still, you know, he's still the person who makes all the decisions, but I've gone outside and done all the work and it's, and again, we're not discounting. I don't want to discount any work that's at the home. Your, your situation is different. You have children at home. There are men who don't have children at home and still take on this role. Right. Who Mm -hmm. still demand or expect, I'll say expect that they are the, 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 the breadwinners. And I know there's sell, there, are, there are people who won't even have these conversations because they don't even want to talk about because men feel emasculated. There's a whole psychology around the fact that when women are the head of household, what those decisions look like um, when uh, the head of household financially. Right. Um, Because again, just like I just said, if you're financial, if you're financial head of household, does that does that default to being the quote unquote the the person who gets to make all the decisions? Not traditionally, (laughs) you know. So there's a whole lot of bumping up against social norms that we just aren't having conversations about, and it means that women are yet again in situations where they have no power or autonomy over their lives. And the financial thing is huge. This is one reason why a lot of those women you're talking about who felt who were in homemaker roles mm-hmm. um, felt powerless. They can't do anything. They can't go in. They don't know where the money is. They don't know how to manage money. They didn't. So they, they're, they're yoked to this situation, even right. feeling imprisoned by the situation. 
And now I'm making, I go out every day. Um, I, I, I build a career, I make all the money and yet we still in those same traditional roles. We need to have conversations about that. It's so interesting too, because there's another statistic that kind of was elevated that I'll read here. It says the report showed that women breadwinners must also face their partner's insecurities about their earning status. So with non-primary earning men wishing they were able to contribute more, right? So 75% of the you know men who aren't earning want to be contributing more and they want to take on the primary earner role. So it's almost like there's this 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 opinion among men that if they're not in that role, it's temporary, that, that they're trying to figure out a way to assume that role. 66% mm-hmm. of people say that they want to take on that role. And right? let's, hold on, let's read the next. It says, overall, yeah. women face more trust issues from their male partners on a day-to-day spending and investing than men face from their female partners. And distrust is highest among non-primary earning men who are more likely to worry that their breadwinner partner's spending habits or um, 66% or holding them back from spending money at 62%. So now I'm managing your feelings, your insecurities, all of these other things. And it's like, let's have a conversation about that because this is not about... Quote, unquote, marriage is supposed to be this team thing, right? That's what y'all say. It's supposed to be this this, this, <laughs> this team thing. Um, and yet when you have these ascribed roles that don't match reality, there will be tension. Mm-hmm. And so you have men who don't trust their partners because they're part. And so it's the same thing with stay at home they don't try where are you spending all this money where are you going out so there's a whole lot of social shit that's going that's being turned upside down because of who makes the most money in the in the relationship Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but that just shows how even with everything being completely flipped upside down the pervasive stereotypical frameworks are in place, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it, like the, the math doesn't follow. Yeah. yeah you know, it doesn't yeah. follow at all. Um, and you're talking about money versus distrust. That's not the one's quantitative and one's a qualitative. Correct. You know, um, how do you, how do we navigate those in a mixed methods way right. so that the women can feel confident and emboldened to go out and do their best shit and 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 be show up in their businesses and places of work in ways that honor them um particularly if they like their work um and Mm -hmm. and it's i'm thinking it's even worse for people who who just think about if you don't like your work <laughs> and you're you're bringing home all this and you're getting all this tension at home as well. Right. And not to mention, I mean, again, again, to, to make a general statement, most of the women out there who are mothers who who are in that position, who are going to work every day, are carrying with them, a, a, you know, some level of of 
a, a different level of responsibility and guilt. Mm-hmm. And if they don't like their job, that only exacerbates. I mean, it's just, you know, because you do there, there's a lot of sacrifice and there's just a lot of, again, and again, this is a generalization just based on what I've observed, but just the logistics, like most, most in a traditional, when, when it, it, when there's a, a mother, father in a household, most often the, the, the CEO of the household is the mom in terms of the logistics. I should say the COO, actually, that's probably the COO, the logistics. Timmy has baseball practice. Rachel has dance. Da, da, da. So just, so there's this running narrative of the, the family business, which is the day-to-day, you know, making sure you RSVP to the birthday party, making sure that kid knows that your son has a peanut allergy. When you go on a play date, there's this ongoing narrative in your brain. Today's gym class day. I got to pack an extra pack. There's this ongoing, and that is generally, generally absorbed by the mother. Um, you know, and there are things inherent to the female personality that, you know, in terms of deep being detail oriented, you know, there's a lot of things that behoove us and we're good in this role. But then when you add on an entire career and you bring that forward, it's just, it's a lot. And so if you're not enjoying what you do and you feel that you're you're doing it just to make ends meet and, and, and your job isn't bringing you that f- developmental satisfaction. Yeah. That's a whole other story. And it also know? highlights why lean in was bullshit. Um, Sarah Sandberg, whatever the fuck I know. Cheryl Sandberg. Yep. Yeah. Cheryl Sandberg. Um, because <laughs> it's, it's emulating men. It's all it was. It's, it's, it's take on this role, take on this. It's like when back in the eighties, when women were damn suits with the shoulder pads. Oh Yeah. Just oh to, yeah, like working girl, Melanie Griffith, Sigourney yeah, Weaver, it's, it's that all type about, of... <laughs> it's all about, again, assimilation. So if you're in that role, you're taking on the role of the man. Right. And then, like you said, there are, now I'm, I'm not a mother, so I don't know about the inherent whatever, but what I can say is there are, I know men who also have that. And if you're, if you've been, a, been indoctrinated in your value comes from your work and you're not working as in bringing in money mm-hmm. out of, I mean, that dynamic must be just utter fucked because there's nothing that a, that a, this woman can do to shift that outside right. of not working. And then it's like, wait a minute, but we need money. You know what I'm right. saying? It's, so it, it's, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. It's true. That's a great point because there are so many men who just derive their value and from their external contributions mm-hmm. or from how they're spending their day. And mm-hmm. if they can't, and, and to, to the point, and a lot of women want to do it their way, you know, we're stubborn and, you know, and so even if we, you know, so to even give them a fulfilling role on the home front, we're holding on to those details, you know, like, we're, you know, I'm not even going to say, I'm going to challenge you on the stubborn because again, yeah. that's, that's a generalization. What okay. I'm going to say is you've been indoctrinated in your roles and we haven't had a conversation about how do we, how do we do, how do we shift roles? That's I, good point. I find myself as the breadwinner that does not fit this traditional shit that we've been indoctrinated in. How do we navigate our relationship in ways that honor all of everybody's contribution? That's the conversation that's not being had. You're right. You're right. You're right. And look how quick I am to label myself as stuff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like you said, you're, you're better. Women are better at uh, organizing. That's not necessarily true. It's just that what we've been our whole, think about how we start socialized, getting socialized, starting in middle school. That's, 
and, and probably earlier than that at this point, but we can start, you start with the clicks and stuff about fourth and fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And then that's how you get the mean girl. That's how you get the, everybody's in it. So we're, that's, we are not doctor. We are not socialized the same way men are. And so um, theirs is about competition. Theirs is about, you know, uh, <clears throat> being, you know, up in each other. And we have that in, in women's, in girls circles, but it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a form of tenuous collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's a form of tenuous collaboration where we know we need each other as a group, but there still has to be hierarchical, hierarchical bullshit in it. Right. And so we take those into our adult roles. Um, because I can say at 54, it was only until very recently that I can claim and openly talk about the fact that I never want to be a mother or, or be married. It's taken me this long to, to first of all, to unpack, because it was, I just thought it was, it would happen. It would be the default. But Kim, how is it the default when you're using two forms of birth control at all times? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you ain't really tried too hard. <laughs> funny how that works yeah yeah. (laughs) or I look at um like I don't even come like people like celebrate nothing against your your marriage or anything I don't know anything about it but people like celebrate oh they've been together for that I've seen I have yet to see more than a handful of relationships where motherfuckers just don't even like each other they're just together because finances and all these other kind of stuff they don't like the kids are stressing the fuck out they're just not fucking happy um there's a whole bunch of stuff and if you're not talking about that and you're adding the money thing which is a huge stressor mm-hmm. of course everything's just like out upside down and topsy-turvy yeah yeah that's the same couple i was with this weekend the woman said to me and i think it's such an accurate portrayal of having a child is like throwing a grenade in your marriage like it just completely and believe me as a teacher I was like like, I do not want this shit in my house (laughs) oh my god y'all can have this shit it is so so unpredictable (laughs) it's so you're just walking along and you step on a minefield because they were uh uh Bail Nobel Prize in economics. I can throw her ass in that crate and keep fucking moving. If she getting on my nerves, I don't. Oh, and yet that does not mean that I'm not maternal. Right. And so there's a whole bunch of things that I even had to unpack. Sure. That because I am mother to many young people throughout my life. Um, I started my first mentoring at 18. Um, and so we really need to have again. This is why straight no chaser. Yeah. Is, is necessary because we need to start having these uncomfortable prof- this is a professional conversation mm-hmm. this is a conversation of hey and it needs to be evaluated on a regular basis just because you and I made the agreement 10 years ago we need to reevaluate this shit because mm-hmm. maybe now I want to come home <clears throat> maybe I don't no longer it was great but I don't feel like being the breadwinner anymore the primary breadwinner anymore and that's on both sides. And 100%. that's another reason why I, marriage never appealed to me is because people want to put you in a box of some shit that you made, uh, decisions you made years ago. I need to renegotiate this contract. We need to have a conversation. We, I done changed. Let's hope your ass done changed. We ain't in the same place. We need to have another conversation. Right. 
Yeah. And that's just it. I mean, you got two people who are going to continue to change and you have to decide, can you change together or do you need to change apart? Because the only constant is we always talk about is change. Right. So, and I think the best relationships understand that and they understand it's going to be messy and it's going to be really hard. And the idea is, can you change together? Can you support each other through change? That's right. Because I want to read this next line. It says in the home, women primary earners still take on more of the household responsibility, such as cooking, cleaning, childcare, leaving less time for financial matters. Women breadwinners rarely have a spouse or partner who isn't employed outside of the house to help manage household responsibilities. Um, As a vast majority survey, 92% reported being dual income households with partners who also work outside the home. In contrast, in couples where men are primary earners, 40% of the women do not work outside the home. These are things that we're not talking about. Some challenges, some of the challenges related to traditional gender role expectations are less pronounced among women in same-sex couples. Two-thirds of women breadwinners in same-sex couples say they feel more comfortable being the breadwinner, reporting higher confidence in their financial decision-making than women than women primary earners in heterosexual couples. See, we that's what we need to be talking about. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's fascinating. Like that. Yeah. And so that's where the headlines, I go beyond the headlines because it, so it says an opportunity for financial service industry to do more for women. Financial service industry is filled with goddamn white dudes. So I don't see how that's going to help. Right. Agreed. Um, And by the way, again, women are, you're reading it. They're exhausted. They don't, they don't even care. Like, all right, fine. Just take care of the finance. I can't take care of anything else right now. So it's not like the financial services are just going to come in with some shiny new product or customer service like model. When they, everybody was talking about um women in, in doing um home improvement and they start bringing out pink drills and shit like <laughs> what the fuck oh my god i know right yeah <laughs> I, it's like i need to learn how to do this shit i don't give a fuck what color it is <laughs> so obnoxious I why know. are you making a gendered screwdriver what is that i know <laughs> That is so on the surface, particularly when you understand that pink and blue was 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 made up um, construct uh, marketing bullshit. That's not has not always been prevailing. But I mean, look at fucking um, FDR. That motherfucker was in curls and a dress until I don't know how long. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I know. <laughs> but that's <sighs> what, that's this this. So it's like even in this in this article they don't get to the meat of it for me. It's like they scratch the surface, they, they pique your curiosity. But we what we really need to be talking about, like this is a gateway. This whole conversation is a gateway, should be a gateway to another conversation, which is these roles, these gender roles, mm-hmm. which I love Gen Z is like knocking upside the, the this, the boy, young men, who in Gen Z, if they're not understanding these young women ain't paying this shit. Right. Mm-hmm. These young women, like I just dealt, um, met with my apprentice today and she's like, yeah, I want to have kids, but not right now. I want my career. It fulfills me. And it's so funny. My six-year-old daughter said to me, Kim, she goes, yeah, I don't know about kids. I might not have them. I said, okay. I go, no, she goes, I'm going to have six jobs. I said, okay. 
because that she goes, so I'm definitely not going to have time for kids. I said, okay, <laughs> she's six years old. It's yep. fascinating. Yes. It's fascinating. And you that's know? what's happening with all everything, not to digress with every, all the push we're seeing in, and just globally, like, um, I think it was Italy. I don't think it was France. I think it was Italy just removed same-sex parents off adoption documents. Huh. Yeah. Uh, if you're a same-sex parent, they took your name off the birth certificate. So these things are happening because this generation of young people who have used the internet for information their whole lives understand like, oh shit, this ain't just here and I don't have to do this. So even at six, your daughter's saying stuff that you and I at six never would have even thought about. Never. No, we were playing house on the playground. And I wasn't <laughs> playing house. I was a fucking tomboy and people had a problem with that. <laughs> of course they I didn't did. get into Barbie until, until, until seventh grade. So I was always outside of the gender roles. So the idea of some man who I just happen to be fucking now is responsible for, I, I don't want, I, that, that's another thing. I don't want anybody else responsible for me because I don't want to be responsible for you. That's another reason I ain't have kids. Another, I don't want to have the responsibility of somebody else. It's enough dealing with me. And the level of self-reflection and, and, and accountability I hold for myself. Mm -hmm. I know. It's interesting. As I'm hearing you say that, I'm realizing like that is rings very true to me. So as much as I'm like, I would be okay staying at home. Actually, I don't know now that I'm hearing see? you say that. See? Yeah. Because I have always felt like I want to know that I can take care of myself no matter yes. what happens that I, that you know what I mean? So I probably would have trouble swallowing my pride and, and so letting it's someone like take you care of me. you fell into that whole. Right. And that's why I asked you, what is the surprise for you? Because I know you as this dynamic go-getter solve problems not that you can't do that in the household but you get a lot and not your personality is, is confirmed by it but you get joy from your work I do and, I, and that's evident in how we do this you are you volunteer to do this podcast with me your team volunteers to produce the podcast and put it on that is work you enjoy doing so the fact that you do it for free, and that's just the one of the projects you're working on with me. You enjoy work. I enjoy work. It fulfills me. And I am at a place where I look back at the, the guys that I've dated really nice guys. I've really dated. But one of the things that was problematic was the parts of my personality that were, they were attracted to was problematic when it had to be turned on them when they realized oh, oh this bitch like this all the time <laughs> <laughs> oh this ain't no joke this is how she really is right and i never wanted to compromise i just did not again folks who are married with kids do your shit yeah i also get to choose and i don't want to do that i don't want to I like being able to just pack up and take my dog to Europe and have to consult with nobody. That, that makes, I can get up and just get in the car and drive anywhere and not have to be like, I got to pick somebody up from school. I got to, 
I got to go. Oh, I got to be home to cook. Mm -mm, I ain't got to do shit. If I'm out and about, I can go to a restaurant and come back. I ain't got to think about nobody. Y'all didn't eat. I don't know what to tell you. I ate. I'm good. I'm going to my room. Figure that shit out. And most people have, I've been shamed because it's, oh, you're being selfish. No. I would rather be, uh, be able to articulate what I want to be, to fucking bring that trauma on, first of all, to kids that I don't fucking want in a relationship where I just don't want to be there. Because again, I'm not the same person I was. And at some point, we're going to have to get to a place where it all is good. It's all okay. It's all okay. And it's okay to not be okay. Like, like it's not going to be perfect, right? It just isn't. Like, you know, I think one of the things too that I think I always am, I get stressed about work because it's hard for me to focus because often I'm sharing space with my kids or, you know what I mean? Especially in this hybrid environment and, you know, and it's, it's okay. It's okay to be, it's messy. It's okay. Like yeah. it's not, there's, it's not going to be, you're never going to be able to shut off this one part of your life to fully and focus it, on think, this. And this is something I want to bring up in our, but this is where the fallacy of we can have it all. No one can have it all. Not even these men. And th we, that's the conversation we need to have. And oh I don't God. even want to have it all. Right. Because that's a lot. It's too much. I don't want to have it all. It's just, a, it's too much to navigate. It's too much to manage. It's too much to know. It's so funny because I was having a conversation with a friend because she, she, she DM'd me. There was this post from this guy who was saying he can't do it. He just can't do it all. He's a podcaster. He's like, there are three things he cares about. One is his community. One was dogs and one was something else. And he said, everything else is, I just can't deal with. And she's like, I don't know how I feel about this. And it made me think about the fact that's because you're not doing this work. You're sitting on the sidelines watching, but people are actually doing work, advocacy, advocacy work, liberation work. I can I, I learned that firsthand with cause a scene. That shit burns you the fuck out. If every time I go on fucking social media, my job is to fucking educate, challenge, push back, yell at that shit is that's a lot. It is. It's I was just gonna, I was thinking that as you were talking about. <laughs> your choices because your work, I mean, yeah. How can you, like you're giving so that's much of yourself. Yes. Like how could you give that to a partner? I would and, never, and, and give that's it, it. To, I would never be able to do that. I right. would never, it would never, even if I believed in equal, right. which I don't, I don't believe in that kind of balance kind of thing, but I would never be, the work that I'm doing requires everything I have. And so if you're in my life, you have to take a subordinate role and that's not something you can do. I don't know what to tell you. And mm -hmm. I would not, and as an, another adult, then yes, we can negotiate that. But for children, no, I can't. That would be totally unfair to that's them. That's totally unfair. Exactly. Exactly. And so even though I didn't have the language of knowing this or even have the mission of this work, something in me knew that mm -hmm. that was not something I really aspired to be. It was just all this thing. Okay. When I get 40, I'll adopt. And then at that point I was teaching, I was like, ain't no way in hell. No, 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 no. Can't do it. But it's the whole, I want to do my work. I want to leave the world how I want to leave it without the guilt and shame of, well, well you are never at home and you didn't did it. Did, did, did. I don't want to do. And I'm just going to be honest after, after, taking care of my dad as he was making his transition. Mm -hmm. I don't have the energy for that. I don't. My work 
Now I'm not saying if it doesn't like my my aunt had cancer. I went. I I was the I was the the one who could uproot my life because again I am remote for years. I could take all my shit to her house and and take care of her while she was going through chemotherapy. I have no problem with that. What I don't want is to be an obligation. Yeah. And people can say what the fuck they need to say about it, but that's just it. I don't want to be obligated to anybody. Um, my mom is very clear that I don't want to be responsible for her and we negotiated. So where I can step in and help when I need, when, but I don't want to be, I can't, this work is everything for me. Right. And you're having an authentic conversation with your mother. No one wants to do that. Nobody even wants to talk about when you, someone gets sick. They don't even want to have that conversation. Yes. That's real love is having the conversation and it's real love for your mom to have the conversation back. And it's, she's very clear. Like when she, um, I kept asking her for years about her, her, me and my sister do not have a good, we have no relationship at all. And, and I kept saying, Hey, you need to figure out what's going to happen at the end because me and we, we don't talk. We have mm-hmm. no relationship. And what you're doing as the oldest, as the oldest child, you're making it, you're causing anxiety for me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy the hell out of this. And whatever they come up with is whether it, it, it is what it is. So what she did was her best friend now is taking care. Now that makes sense because I already know me and my sister don't have a relationship. When someone dies, that is the most, one of the most traumatic people, the worst comes out of people. And so I'm trying, what I was trying to do is stave off to, to but you won't help me on this. So I'm bowing the fuck out. Whatever they decide, they can, they can create, cremate you, throw you in the ocean, whatever. I ain't got nothing to do with that. And it sounds heartless to other people, but that's why I'm modeling this. That's why I'm being my authentic self because that is my truth. I don't want to be grieving my mom with somebody I have no relationship with just because we're biological. We don't have the same father. We didn't grow up the same way. We don't have the same, she, we don't, she is not attached to the black community in any way. We have no, we have no shared values, no shared nothing. Why would I want to grieve with you? Why would you put me in that situation? So what I've done is, okay, I'm back in the, I'm not in that situation. And when my mom dies, if there is no funeral, if there is no, then I'm okay. I've had my relationship with my mom and I'm going to move the fuck on. And I know when people hear this, they're going to say this shit is heartless. It's the same thing when I say, don't call me in the middle of the night because somebody died. They'll be dead in the morning. I don't, don't, I don't, nighttime is not about me sleeping. It's about where I, that's where I calm down. That's where my brain shuts up. That's why I shut off everything. Mm-hmm. I'm, don't make me your emergency contact because your ass will be in an emergency. <laughs> I think it's good that you're modeling. You're modeling practicality. You're modeling what should what should happen in relationships. You and your mom have a beautiful relationship, yes. like an honest one. You you've shared with me, you know the the you know the history of your relationship and where you're at now. And yes, and she's actually a friend. I don't feel yeah. obligated to be in her life. I feel I want to be there. And if there are some things that she needs help with that I feel that I want to help, not out of obligation, but I want to be of service to her in that way, then I do that. Mm-hmm. But I no longer feel the anxiety like she's moving right now and she um, she's feeling overwhelmed. And I felt myself taking on because I was like about to start. I was like, nope. I sent her a message and I said, I think you may, it might be, um, I said suggestion, um, um, task rabbit. And, or Angel, uh, Angela's, whatever the hell that is, hire mm. you somebody to pack that shit up and move. And I, I, I can't, I can't. That's the only suggestion I got. Hire somebody to pack that. If you're feeling overwhelmed, hire somebody to pack your shit up. And, and that's done. Mm. 
Now she needs me to pay for that. Then that's something I may do. But the whole me now strategizing how to keep her from being overwhelmed. Nope, that's what you got a therapist for. I, that's not my role anymore. And this is why I want to have these conversations because I want to model this. It is so, even as I say it, it comes out of my mouth, it sounds weird because it's not the accepted norms. But I can only be myself and I'm no longer being put myself in situations that I don't, I'm not honoring what I fucking want, what I need. Because if I'm doing something for somebody out of obligation, guilt or whatever, then I'm doing a detriment to myself. I'm not being my whole self. I'm not, I cannot give what I don't have. So I'm pouring out a cup that's not, that just, no, you need to be getting the saucer shit, the shit that's overflowing. I cannot give you. So my, my mom's relationship is good now because we're healthy. Right. Right. And that's, everybody wants to operate from that place of, of abundance. Like when you're, when your cup is not full, when you're depleted and you're not it, like, it, it's a horrible way to operate. Like you just, you're checking boxes. You're just, you know, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so going back to, as we close out, go back to this, 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 this study. Mm -hmm. And it's because folks in these roles have not had these conversations. Mm -hmm. This study would be a non sequitur, <laughs> a mute would be moot. If in society, we were given the grace and the space to have to, first of all, self-evaluate about what we really truly want and communicate that with these partners, these people in our lives who say they want to be there forever. Yeah, it all comes back to communication. <laughs> yes, yes. And it was not easy having these conversations with my mom, but I knew if I was going to have, for me to do, to, to live authentically, the way I wrote in the book, the way I choose to, engagement I had I couldn't do it and that's why I said the book is subversive you can't say you want supremacy you believe in or working towards supremacy coercion discrimination and expectation free at work and not have that spill over at home yeah yeah hmm. are you ready for two bits to be joyful I am I am so if you're not familiar with the podcast, this is our moment where we find joy and talk about our joy, because as heavy as this work can be, uh, Kim, you've always modeled for me that you can and will be joyful Yes, um, amid everything. And yes. you're able yeah, if, to- if Anything else is, 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 is like living in hell. And I, I would not enjoy my work if I did not derive a lot of joy from it. Well, what are you joyous about this week? <clears throat> Um, what I'm actually joyous about is, is, is the fact that this week, when you hear this, it'll be last week. Uh, we're now going to start working on the project for December. That's what I'm excited about because I'm really leaning into with all the chaos that I see, all the, the stuff that is going on. The fact that I, we are creating an experience, a future experience in a way that, like the film festival, I really have this like idea. I don't, I want it to be submissions from trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming people, but about their joy there. But I don't want to hear about your trauma. I don't want, you get, there's enough 
news, enough podcasts. And I want them to tell their, in 15 minutes, to, to, to share their joy, the, their lives. That is so important to me. And that is so different. So yeah, I'm excited about as we, as we move to this, how we get to amplify and uphold and uplift um, a very marginalized community in a loving and, and, and supportive and co-conspirator way that is about brightness, about fireworks, about, yeah, just that. I'm really excited about that. How about you? I'm excited. I was laughing because I had to go on mute. Kim and I are both coughing up a storm. <laughs> and I'm like, this should be called can't two bitches like get a breath. Like we're just <laughs> both... We have, we both are a little under the weather today. We're sneezing, coughing off camera, doing a good job of editing ourselves. Um, so I'm really joyful because I had a lot of fun this weekend. Um, the couple I mentioned was visiting from out of town. It's my sister, uh, the family, his sister-in-law, brother-in-law. And um, they, we did the, like the most random fun thing. There was a Christmas in July parade in town. And so we decorated our golf cart. We have a golf cart and we decorated, it was only a golf cart parade, Mm -hmm. you know, and we decorated the golf cart and we, we did not win. There was three (laughs) trophies. We did not place. We were very upset. There were 30 entries, but we had so So much fun. fun. We, and we were silly and we got up really early. We threw a Christmas tree on top of the car. We played Christmas music. We threw candy out. That was one of the most fun parts, throwing candy to all the kids. And, and it was just the best time ever. And it was such a silly, like random thing to do that. It's just stuck with me for days. Like, how fun was that? Like, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That is, we spend, yes, the world is a shit show. The world's always been a shit show. Um, this is not new. It's just a different iteration of the shit show. Um, and the fact that we we can do those little silly things, again, that goes against norms as well. Because as your age, you should not be behaving that way. That's childish. Of course you know? not. Yeah. And you know what was so, I think, affirming and heartwarming is how many people responded to the silliness. Yes. Again, people, you're modeling. Yes. What I'm finding is there's so many, there's that thing inside of us. There's so much, there's so much of this, this, this chafe, this, this, this friction, this thing. And inside of us is these, these kids who we're actually parenting our, that child in us. We're healing that child in us that, I mean, as a Gen Z, as a Gen X, I was left alone all the fucking time. I was by myself. I was scared all the time. I didn't have the confidence. I mean, it was so much of that that I'm healing. Yes. And so for me, play is 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 work. That is that is I I I play more than I work because the play helps me be reinvigorated, innovative, all of that for the work. 100%. It's so important. And it is cool to see people embracing it, even in professional settings where yes. obviously if you're at work, there is no true play and there shouldn't yeah. be. It should, you know, you shouldn't try to, we talk a, a lot about this when you try to force on these like notions of we're a family. Yes, you know, exactly. no, you and don't want to pinball table and shit like that. Yeah. Means, I don't need that shit. <laughs> right. Exactly. But what I am excited to see is, is those lines blurring to a degree where you can be more authentic at work yes. mm-hmm. and, and bring the playful side of you yes. and have that be valued. So, yeah. yeah. So a lot of joy on that front. Well, good for you. Good for you. All right. So with that, we will wrap up and um, 
I'm just zero blank. <laughs> well, that's okay because that's why I'm here because I want to remind our audience that we are here because we are laying the foundation for a future that is hopeful, authentic, and strategic in action. So will you join us? 